Hey, it's in a book. Welcome to this one of our two makeup episodes of It's in a Book. Uh, this will be a very short episode intended to allay or mitigate the fact that I allowed two periods to elapse in which we were supposed to come to you in a fortnight and instead came to you uh, after three weeks had elapsed in each case. Uh, in this episode, I will very quickly, or it's actually not all that quick, I will, I will interview my father-in-law, his name is Richard Holmes, and uh, I had a wonderful interview with him. I, I do have to apologize uh, here at the outset for that. I believe I was too close to my mic um, early and often during the interview, and, and there's some static throughout um, the interview just uh, from the interference I believe with the mic it, it might have had something to do with the surface we were in Starbucks coffee on, on P Street uh, it might have had something to do with the table there was a, a lot of uh, uh, electronics plugged into the table but the interview itself is, is really awesome and I hope you can put up with the uh, with the static in order to listen to it um, also very uh, briefly here I'm gonna tackle a book. It's not fiction. It's not nonfiction. Uh, it, it's called The Art of Worldly Wisdom. It's by Balthasar Gracian. And it's, it's a book I encountered uh, in my, I guess, early 20s. And maybe I might even have been my late teens, like a late 18, 19 year old. I can't remember how it was I came by. And I think maybe my mother had a copy lying around somewhere. But it's a really incredible book, uh, sort of in the, in the vein of The Prince by Machiavelli but far more uh, well-intentioned, I believe. It, it kind of just tells you uh, how to navigate uh, society with good intentions and, and hopefully good results. I guess it's kind of like how to win friends and, and influence people, but of course it was written a, a long, long time ago, and in my opinion, it's, it's probably the authority on, on how, to, how to move uh, in the world. Um, <laughs> Not to say that I've been able to put its advice to uh, to very good use and very good effect, but I, I definitely think it's a book uh, from which anyone could uh, could benefit. So I will tackle probably the introduction and, and maybe a few of the aphorisms uh, from it that, I, that I've come to love over the years. I, I've I've read them over and over again. Probably not enough, like I said, uh, because I I uh, you know. I'm not there yet. So at any rate, uh, that is what we will cover in this an abbreviated episode of It's in a Book. And we will head right into that interview with Richard Holmes after the break. So uh, thanks for, uh, for listening, and we'll see you after the break. Bye-bye. Okay, so our interview this fortnight is with my father-in-law. His name is Dick Holmes. Uh, he's sitting across from me in Starbucks coffee shop on uh, P Street right now. We're, we're almost in downtown Raleigh. We're, we're just off Glenwood South. Um, Holden is sitting very or, or sitting right next to us. He's behaving very nicely right now, but he may occasionally make a little noise or, or bump the table where our microphones are resting. So. If you happen to hear that sound, uh, don't don't be alarmed. It's just Holden making his presence felt. 
So uh, Dick agreed to, to do this interview with me a, a while back, and uh, I've been chasing him, chasing him down. He's been he's been vacationing at his at his beach house down in Myrtle Beach a lot, and uh, but I finally got him in front of me. So uh, so we're gonna start by having him tell us a little bit about himself. And uh, I didn't tell him he was gonna have to do that. You should see the look on his face. So please, Dick, tell us uh, tell us who you are. <laughs> uh, well, my real name is Richard Holmes. <laughs> And I was born and raised in Lumberton, North Carolina, which is Robinson County, right? Uh, southeastern North Carolina, a unique county in that one third of the population is white, one third's black, and one third is Lumbee Indian, mm. which is unusual. Very much and, so. Uh, so I had a diverse upbringing, and uh, my family came from down that way since uh, we go back to about 1805. Wow. And they still farmed the same land. But anyway, uh, I was raised down there and went to college at Raleigh at NC State. Right. Go Wolfpack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love Raleigh and uh, I married a girl from here. So that's one reason I'm here and I'm retired from Progress Energy. Retired about 11 years ago. Right. I retired early. Never regret it. So, have four kids and grandkids here. They all live here, so that's good. Yeah, good that we're all together here. Yeah, it's it's nice to be all together here. So, um, well, um, I'm gonna ask you a little bit about your uh, your military career too, because uh, I mention occasionally on the, on the show that uh, my job, uh, my day job, is is with uh, the special forces, and you uh, deployed to Vietnam with the special forces, no? Well, no. Well, I was attached. I joined the Navy to keep from going to Vietnam <laughs> and ended up going twice. But my second tour, I was attached to, uh, I think it was the 5th Special Force. It was the 5th or 7th Special Forces uh, group building airstrips at their little air uh, camps right. along the Laotian border. And the camps were about the size of a football field, but they all had dirt airstrips and the CBs, I was in the Navy CBs. Right. CB stands for Construction Battalion. It's nothing like the Navy. Right. And uh, our motto was, we build, we fight. So, <laughs> but we put down metal matting at these uh, Special Forces camp right. airfields. Right, yeah. Now, what kind of planes were they Were they riding into those? Uh, they were, uh, C-130s could land on some of them, but right. mainly, they were they call stoles short takeoff and landing right, uh, small right. planes and the C1 I think it was the C123s which was a two engine uh, aircraft cargo right. aircraft right. and also a smaller plane called the Caribou right right and uh, yeah, I jump out of one of those stoles yeah. most of the time now a, a Casa um, yeah. which I'm sure they probably weren't using back then I, I yeah. probably should know more about military aircraft but I don't well the CIA would come in usually had the stoles right and uh, Air America was their airline quote airline they call right, it right right Air but, America but they'd be civilian clothes with their machine guns and right. we knew where they were the CIA yeah that sounds pretty pretty glamorous yeah. pretty, pretty neat I mean as glamorous as any of that stuff yeah. ever is always sounds way more glamorous so oh cool cool well um Holden is uh, is scrumming a little bit right next to me, so we'll we'll get right into the interview. And uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, I, I told you the five questions I'd be asking you, with the exception of of, uh, of warning you that you would have to tell us about yourself. Yeah. So we'll we'll get right into the first question, which is, uh, how do you find the time to read? 
it's, it's very difficult to find time to read. You figure when you retire, you have all the time in the world. But right. if it's a beautiful day, I just I look at reading as a waste of time <laughs> if it's pretty because uh, I've just got too many things I want to do otherwise. So right. I read at night when I go to bed. Right. Uh, I, people won't believe me, but I go to bed around 9 o'clock. I believe you. And I'll read an hour to two hours. So that's when I do my reading, right. is at night. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I, I wish I had the, the discipline to do that. Lately I've been watching Heroes every night instead of reading, so it's pretty terrible. Cool. Well, um, the second question is uh, how do you decide what to read? Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, when I was younger, I used to read books. And uh, now you might call me, and I still read books, but right. now you can call me a magazine <laughs> reader. <laughs> uh, so many magazines, there, there must be thousands of different magazines. So I get several magazines. Right. Like uh, I, I get Archaeology, which is a big magazine. Right. I, I get Fortune. I get Time Magazine, which mm -hmm. is very good. Yeah. I get the Smithsonian. I get your, your hand-me-down times. Yeah, yeah, so. I give you my old times. <laughs> Uh, the Smithsonian and another, I, I like archaeology, and there's another one, biblical archaeology, which is very interesting. Right. And uh, get several other magazines also. Right. Woodworking magazines that yeah. I read. Do you get this old house? Because I know I I've get ended this up old with house. a copy or two yeah, of that. Yeah, it's pretty cheap, so I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually having like a huge magazine problem right now. Has Kissy told you about it? Uh uh. This kid comes to our neighborhood. If a kid ever comes to your neighborhood selling magazines, shoo him away. I mean, and when I say kid, I mean, this guy probably looked like he was in his early 20s. But it, the company is called Entrepreneur Sales. And right. I, I write this kid a check for almost 300 bucks, you know, Good for like, Lord. well, I mean, but it's like three years worth of magazines, yeah. you know. He, he gives you this whole spiel about how you're helping him out, you know, by buying the magazines yeah. and how, you know, it, it's keeping him off the streets and everything and I, I should have been more attentive he was wearing like you know $120 sneakers and he, he was pretty well dressed and everything you know but I had just moved into the house dad and I were, were doing some work in the garage and I was trying to to essentially you know help him out and also get him out of my face at the same time because I was busy so I write him this check I didn't tell Kissy about it uh, and uh so she sees it in our checkbook and she's like you spent $300 on magazines she was furious but you know she wrote it off and the magazines never came really yeah so we're now embroiled with this in this huge conflict with them where they won't send us our money back they want to send us the magazines now after they purposely didn't send them and it's it's a nightmare so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if if anybody from entrepreneur sales comes up to you trying to sell magazines don't buy them <laughs> so that, that's my public service announcement for the day. Okay. Um, so. Now, the next question uh, is, um, tell us a little bit, and, and I think you kind of answered a little bit there already, but tell us a little bit about books as objects. Uh, whether you prefer paper or digital, and you know how many books do you have around the house, that sort of thing. So paper. go for it. And, and I have quite a few books, um, but I have a Kindle. But there again, I, I read the local state paper the news and observer when i'm at the beach on my kindle right and and that's all i read on my kindle i i don't rent or pay for books on the kindle right but um uh, please repeat the question again 
you know whether you prefer paper or digital uh, uh, and, right, and just paper. how you feel about books as objects just just so. paper and uh, i i prefer paperback books really because the hard bound are expensive right so i usually wait and and get them in paperback but if it's one i really want right i'll i'll splurge and i collect uh, Pat Conroy books. I have every yeah. book he's written, and he's a Southern writer, right? From Georgia, but he lives in South Carolina, and he, his last book was just I couldn't put it down. South Abroad. Took South place, Abroad. Huh? Took place in Charleston. Mm-hmm. All of his books. He wrote the uh, Great Santini. To, to give you an example, the Prince of Tides. Right. The Lord. Which of, later became a movie, right? Yeah. Well. The Great Santini was a movie. Prince of Tides was a movie. The Lords of Discipline about the Citadel. Right. Uh, was it? Was that one a movie too? Yeah, that was oh, wow. a movie. So he's done real well, and uh, I I just love his books. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we tried to buy you one recently, and uh, yes, yes, you already you had it, and I already had it. <laughs> and uh, also, there's a guy named Eric Sloan. I have all of his books. Right. He's dead now, but he wrote about early America. Mm-hmm. And, Fiction uh, or? Well, no, uh, it's his historical stuff about how they built barns and how they made, uh, how they farmed and uh, that kind of thing. Right. So, but, but he's a famous painter. And also he wrote these books about Americana. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I remember he died fairly recently. Doesn't he have like a really famous painting of, of like a girl in a field? No, that's Andrew White. Really? Andrew White. Now, did he die yeah, recently he, too? He, he died a few years ago. Right. Uh, but he, he was just a painter. He didn't write. Okay. And his son's a painter now. Right. I think I must be confusing the painting, but I remember right. when Eric Sloan died because I saw it on Twitter. Right. But uh, I, I guess I'm confusing that painting with it with right. the Andrew Wyatt version. So, yeah. But uh, cool. Cool. Well, anything else you want to say about, about books as objects? Well, it's, it's funny when I... I'll run through spells, like when I got home from Vietnam, I read about every book, every... Now, I don't read fiction. I read nonfiction. Right. I don't, With the exception of Pat Conroy. Except for Pat Conroy. <laughs> You're right. And uh, But I read totally, pretty much, uh, nonfiction. And I got on a Vietnam kick. Uh-huh. And I bet you I read 20 paperback books, nonfiction, about Vietnam. Right. And, and then... A few months would go by, and I got on the mafia kit, and I bought—I <laughs> bet you—25 paperback books on the mafia. They right. it just fascinated me. This group of people, yeah, uh, about how smart they were, but how ruthless they could be. Right. And then my last big kick was the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I read a lot about that, and and that I wish I hadn't because it yeah it chilling I'm sure yeah, and, and upsetting yeah. How, you know, people could treat right. other people that right. way. Right. But it's fascinating about how people, ordinary, I'm talking about some of them were school, talking about German. Right. Uh, they gave a little biography of all these people who were executioners of the, the it just wasn't Jews, it was gypsies. Uh, even right, Romas. I got Catholic. in trouble for using yeah. that word one time. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a derogatory remark, Gypsy. How ordinary <laughs> people could kill thousands of people. Right. And uh, I'm talking about school teachers. I'm talking wow. About, uh, insurance salesmen. Uh, one was a carpenter. Wow. Uh, but they joined the SS, the German SS, and 
right. became now, members of an execution were, were squad. Were they conscripted into these squads? I mean, like, did they join Most the SS not knowing they were Most becoming of them were volunteer. Re- they volunteered to become executioners. Well, they had execution squads, but the regular German army was not known to execute people like the SS. Right. Uh, they were separate, kind of, but even they were army, but SS were the mean guys, so right. to speak, the cruel guys. But the ones in the regular army who were ordered to execute people, it bothered them. Right, uh, right. They had, some of them went insane because there were letters written of commanding officers home saying that some of my men just can't handle right. killing people. Yeah, you know, yeah understandably. So, wow. Wow. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully never again, at least, you know, yeah. not like that. I mean, well, I'm not there's similar a, atrocities yeah. now, but... Well, I'm not on a kick now, so I'm, I haven't picked anything yet right. to take its place. <laughs> Maybe, I'm, I don't know. Uh, well, I am, uh, I, I bought a book, the book, the, the Pat Conroy book y'all gave me, I returned, and I got one that this interests me, is, it's... Uh, don't shake my table. <laughs> a day in the life of a 13th century uh, England, uh-huh. you know, the medieval times. You know, I've always been fascinated about how they live. Right. You know, their their hygiene, their food. Their lack of hygiene. Well, <laughs> yes. Their food, uh, what they did for fun, uh, how they spoke, uh, you right. know, the social levels. And I'm reading that right now. Yeah, so, so maybe that's gonna be your new kick? I might, it might be my new kick. Right. Now, the, the show Downton Abbey, that, that's after the time you're talking about, right? Oh, that's World War One. Uh, you know, the turn of this 19, you know, 1900s. Okay, right. So it's too late to, oh, yeah, to fall way, under way that. Oh, yeah, way too late. This okay. is the 1300s. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, medieval, that's really old. Medieval times. Okay, okay. Sweet, sweet. Okay. Well, um, the next question, uh, everybody's favorite question is... Uh, what is your favorite book of all time? So uh, let's, let's hear your thoughts on that. Well, I'd have to say that it's one of my most recent books. And uh, that was, I read it maybe two or three years ago, Pat Conroy's of South course. Abroad. South Abroad. And uh, it was very few books can I not put down and go do something. I, if I read that book as fast as I've ever read a book. Right. I just could not put it down. And I'd read it during the day, which is tells you that it was fascinating. Right, because you could have been outside doing something yes. outside. Oh, it, and it has not been made into a movie, and I, that just I boggles my mind. Right. Since most of his books have. Right. Kind of like Nicholas Sparks, who's from Newburn, who writes all these chick books, <laughs> right. which are good. I like a lot of them. Okay. So... Uh, that was my best book. It's just thrilling, and, right? And it's now, about the South. With, without any spoilers, what what's the the gist of it? You know, like what's the main? I mean, what, like, is it something that could readily be made well into a movie? Well, it's the uh, yes, yes. It's about these young uh, kids who went to high school in Charleston and all, and one of them's gay, and one of them's black, and one of them's white, and about how he had a, a paper route delivery around Charleston. His parents were kind of strange. And, uh, it, it, and it's about their life on when they became in their 20s and 30s. And they, they rescued a friend in California. And, but one of them's dad was a, like a serial killer. Whoa. It turned out. Right. And, it, you know, that was in it. And uh, it's, uh, it's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. One became a movie star, one of their friends. One of the, a, oh, a right, in the book. Yeah. yeah, and her father was the serial killer. And 
it, it was just fascinating. Right. Well, I'll have to check it out sometime. Believe it or not, I've, n- I've never read a, a Pat Comeroy novel. Um, so well, he's uh, good. Next time I'm, I'm at your beach house, uh, I'll, I'll pick one up. Yeah. And I'll start with that one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the last question, uh, which is, what are you reading right now? So, well, I'm, like I said, the magazines that I, I read every night, plus right. the uh, the historical book on medieval times. You know, right. A day in the life of a medieval person. Yeah. And, and it's just fascinating. You think about those times, but you don't really know. You know, what did they get up in the morning? What did they do? Uh, uh, you know, did they they marry it talks about marriage it talks about religion was was just big time in right. the 1300s the church did they get up and go to church all day essentially or? well no the the religious authority did everything pretty mm-hmm. much ruled everything uh, so it was like the, the, the priest and the police all in one yes kind of right. yeah it, and since then religion has gotten less uh, and, and the Catholic Church was a big deal in England and you know they right. the king I forgot Henry the something kicked them out and right right yeah they I mean they were essentially almost like another arm of the government right? yeah yeah exactly well they said it's like a was a stool they had the peasants they had the religious leaders and then they had the ruling class right and that was it yeah wow so and then I guess eventually the merchant class came along and right blah 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 right. so yeah it sounds interesting so now about this lack of hygiene. I mean, you always hear like people didn't like to bathe back then. Like, what, what's how, how did that go, or how, how does that go? Well, that's true. You know, they were talking about how uh, women would wear these leather corsets, and they would literally rot. You know, sometimes on on them. Yeah, wow. and they'd, they'd change them. <laughs> and uh, but you know, they wouldn't bathe. They're often. Uh, their clothing wouldn't be washed often and and things you know changed after a while but they I don't want to get the book gets into the real hygiene stuff and I I, I won't (laughs) you don't want to talk about that here (laughs) but it's you know you've heard of they would you've heard of people throwing their waste out into the street right well that didn't really happen it didn't no they would take it put it in a big bucket mm-hmm. and every so often take it to a river and uh, a close by stream right all the villages had a, a creek or a stream and that's where they would dispose of their weight right not like we still do that now sometimes just yeah <laughs> it's yeah. more it's more organized and, and uh, you yeah. know a little more sanitary but we still yeah. use the rivers for that purpose yeah well I see buddy yeah cool cool Sweet. Well, uh, is, is there anything else uh, you, you'd like to talk about this morning? No. Uh, that's about the stand of my reading. I'm, I'm not a big reader. I told you I, I read an hour or two hours every night. So I, I that's guess a pretty you, big reader nowadays, I would say. If you add up the hours in a year, that's a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. When you look at it that way. Right, right. That, that's 14 hours a week. And I do it every night. Yeah. I yeah. hardly ever... Every DBA, Unless I go right. out to a party or something, and then I don't. Right, right. That's forgivable. And, I mean, certainly it's better than watching Heroes every night, which is what yeah. I've been doing right now. Well, it's I read crazy. the pa- newspaper every morning. Right, right. Yeah, yes. I talked about that when I talked to Andre, uh, uh, my, my good friend Andre. I think mm-hmm. you met him uh, briefly once. But 
he used to read the newspaper every morning when he lived here in Raleigh. He, now he lives in Indianapolis, and he says the, the newspaper there is terrible. But uh, you and he are the only people I've known who, who read the whole paper every day. Well, so. you know, I back up. Instead of the two hours at night, it takes me an hour. I'm usually at 8 o'clock, have my cup of coffee, sitting at my table, kitchen ca- t- table, and I read the print edition of the News and Observer. Right. It, it gets Unless to our house beach. like at then 5 o'clock. Right, the Kendall. Well, at the beach, I get the Myrtle Beach Herald, Sun, right. and, and read it. But it takes me about an hour to read the newspaper. So I really read maybe two to three hours a day. Yeah. Which yeah. is a lot. I had a lot. Of well, it. I knew you were a much bigger reader than, than you. When, when we talk about this and, and yeah. you told me you weren't a big reader, like I, I, you're actually like one of the biggest readers I know. Well, so. I wish all my children read more. Right. I've, I've found that some of my children are very ignorant about current events. <laughs> and uh, you, you can't say that. They're, they may hear this. <laughs> well, some are. And, uh, Don't name any names. I know, uh, but I was, you know, they just don't know what's going on. Right, a lot of, right. And that's sad. Well, so many of us don't. So. Well, no, I, you and uh, Kissy seem to read a lot. And uh, no names. Yeah. <laughs> but others, I'll mention something current, and and they won't know what I'm talking about. Right. Right. Cool. cool. This includes stepchildren too. <laughs> by the way. All right. Well, you might as well name name, yeah, name yeah. it. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, listen. Holden uh, has probably had about his limit here, um, and we have okay. what time is it? Ten forty-six. It's still a little early yeah. for lunch, I say. But yeah. you know, we'll we'll go to the house and figure something out. So, um, thank you very much, Richard Holmes, for uh, for uh, interviewing with us this fortnight. And uh, I'm going to try and get this up pretty soon because I'm, I'm probably one and a half episodes behind right now. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be every two weeks, and the, the last two episodes have been uh, three weeks apart. So I'll try and get this up before the uh, the end of the week. And uh, Well, and you might want to get some house painting in between those done. <laughs> Dick uh, rightfully gives me a hard time about all the housework that... Uh, that I really need to do and, and that I haven't done. We, we moved into our house about a year ago, and uh, I, I won't say much more than that. Uh, it, it's pretty <laughs> shameful uh, yeah, it how, is. how little I So the interview stops abruptly here. I, I think I may have uh, hit the, the stop recording button a little early, but what you miss essentially is Dick continuing to give me a hard time about all the painting that I need to do and have not done and me continuing to accept it cavalierly because that's just the kind of guy that I am and then we say goodbye and we'll see you in the next segment so uh, see you there it's in a book The Art of Worldly Wisdom by Balthasar Gracian Translated by Joseph Jacobs Shambhala Pocket Classics Editor's Preface Balthasar Gracian's Art of Worldly Wisdom is one of those rare books whose fame and popularity grow with each new generation of readers, and with good reason. Within the scope of 300 concise maxims, Gracian offers a practical handbook 
on how to make one's way in the world and achieve personal and professional success. Some of Gracian's teachings focus on the value of subtle discretion and even deceit. Be all things to all people, he counsels. Notice people's moods and adapt yourself to each, genial or serious as the case may be. Follow their lead, glossing over the changes as cunningly as possible. Maxim 77 To confound your rivals, Gracian advises, act sometimes on second thoughts, sometimes on first impulse. Maxim 13 Vary your mode of action. The enemy is on the watch. Great skill is required to outwit him. Maxim 17 But the Art of Worldly Wisdom is no handbook of Machiavellian stratagems on how to exercise power for one's own narrow purposes. The sole advantage of power, the Arthur argues, is that you can do more good. Furthermore, the proper development of power on the worldly plane leads to the attainment of higher qualities. For Gracian, the true search for excellence begins with perfecting oneself. We are not born perfect, he reminds us. Every day we develop in our personality and in our profession until we reach the highest point of our completed being, to the full round of our accomplishments and our excellencies. This is known by the purity of our taste, the clearness of our thought, the maturity of our judgment, and the firmness of our will. Maxim 6 Originally written in 1637, The Art of Worldly Wisdom was soon translated from Spanish into eight major European languages, including German, in a translation by the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. And over the years, several English-language versions have been published. This Shambhala Pocket Classics edition of the Art of Worldly Wisdom is adapted from Joseph Jacobs' fine translation, first published in 1892 by Macmillan, and reprinted numerous times and as recently as 1950. A prominent scholar, literary critic, and folklorist, Jacobs, 1854 to 1916, is best known for his collections of traditional legends and fairy tales, including English fairy tales, Celtic fairy tales, and the fables of Aesop. His original translation of The Art of Worldly Wisdom, though brilliantly preserving much of Gracian's epigrammic style, as well as his puns and word plays, is at times unclear and somewhat dated in syntax and grammar. In this new edition, Jacob's translation has been updated where necessary. In those places where Gracian's meaning seemed obscure, Jacob's translation has been lightly revised after careful comparison with several other English renderings, including translations by Martin Fisher, L.B. Walton, and Christopher Amar, Charles C. Thomas, 1934, J.M. Denton Sons, 1953, and Doubleday, 1992, respectively. Schopenhauer, in his translation, comments that the art of worldly wisdom is a book made for constant use, a companion for life, and that 
To read it once through is obviously not enough, but it is also a book to be read slowly and savored. In the original preface to Joseph Jacobs' version, the translator offers the reader this sage advice. When reading this little book for the first time, read only 50 maxims and then stop for the day. The Art of Worldly Wisdom 1. Everything is at its peak of perfection. This is especially true of the art of making one's way in the world. There is more required nowadays to make a single wise person than formerly to make the seven sages of ancient Greece, and more is needed nowadays to deal with the single person than was required with the whole people in former times. 2. Character and Intellect These are the two poles of our capacity. One without the other is but halfway to happiness. Intellect is not enough. Character is also needed. On the other hand, it is the fool's misfortune to fail in obtaining the position, employment, neighborhood, and circle of friends of his choice. Three, keep matters for a time in suspense. Admiration at their novelty heightens the value of your achievements. It is both useless and insipid to play with your cards on the table. If you do not declare yourself immediately, you arouse expectation, especially when the importance of your position makes you the object of general attention. Mix a little mystery with everything, and the very mystery arouses veneration. And when you explain, do not be too explicit, just as you do not expose your inmost thoughts in ordinary conversation. Cautious silence is the sacred sanctuary of worldly wisdom. A resolution declared is never highly thought of. It only leaves room for criticism. And if it happens to fail, you are doubly unfortunate. Besides, you imitate the divine way when you inspire people to wonder and watch. 4. Knowledge and Courage These are the elements of greatness. Because they are immortal, they bestow immortality. Each is as much as he knows and the wise can do anything. A person without knowledge is in a world without light. Wisdom and strength are the eyes and hands, yet knowledge without courage is sterile. 5. Make people depend on you. It is not he that adorns, but he that adores that makes a divinity. The wise person would rather see others needing him than thanking him. To keep them on the threshold of hope is diplomatic. To trust to their gratitude is boorish. Hope has a good memory, gratitude a bad one. More is to be got from dependence than from courtesy. He that has satisfied his thirst turns his back on the well 
and the orange, once squeezed, falls from the golden platter into the wastebasket. When dependence disappears, good behavior goes with it, as well as respect. Let it be one of the chief lessons of experience to keep hope alive without entirely satisfying it, by preserving it to make oneself always needed, even by a patron on the throne. But do not carry silence to excess, or you will go wrong, nor let another's failing grow incurable for the sake of your own advantage. One forty-five. Do not show your wounded finger, for everything will knock up against it. Do not complain about it, for malice always aims where weakness can be injured. It is no use to be vexed, being the butt of the talk will only vex you the more. Ill will searches for wounds to irritate, aims darts to try the temper and tries a thousand ways to sting to the quick. The wise never confess to being hit or disclose any evil, whether personal or hereditary. For even fate sometimes likes to wound us where we are most tender. It always mortifies wounded flesh. Never therefore disclose the source of pain or of joy if you wish the one to cease and the other to endure. 2.30 Open your eyes early. Not all who see have their eyes open, nor do all those see who look. To come up to things too late is more worry than help. Some just begin to see when there is nothing more to see. They pull their houses down about their heads before they come to themselves. It is difficult to give understanding to those who have no power of will, still more difficult to give power of will to those who have no understanding. Those who surround them play a game of blind man's buff with them, making them the butts of jokes. Because they are hard of hearing, they do not open their eyes to see. There are often those who encourage such insensibility because their very existence depends on it. It is an unhappy steed whose rider is blind. It will never grow sleek. 231. Never let things be seen half finished. They can only be enjoyed when complete. All beginnings are misshapen, and this deformity sticks in the imagination. The recollection of having seen a thing imperfect disturbs our enjoyment of it when completed. To swallow something great at one gulp may disturb the judgment of the separate parts, but satisfies the taste. Before a thing is manifest, it is nothing, and while it is in process of being, it is still nothing. To see the tastiest dishes prepared arouses disgust rather than appetite. Let each great master take care not to let his work be seen in its embryonic stages. They might take this lesson from Mother Nature, who never brings the child to the light till it is fit to be seen.
Hey guys and gals, thanks for listening to this, our abbreviated makeup episode of It's in a Book. Um, I apologize once again for the sound quality of the interview with Richard Holmes. Uh, It was one of my favorite interviews uh, thus far, and I'm really disappointed that something crazy was going on with the mic. Uh, I I can't really explain it. Everything was set up just as it should have been, and uh, something went wrong. I'll just have to be doubly careful next time. Um, as dry as it may have come across, the, the Art of Worldly Wisdom by uh, Balthasar, <laughs> by Balthasar uh, Gracian is, is just a really incredible book. It's, a, it's an incredible guide uh, to, uh, to you know, getting along in polite and sometimes not so polite society, so you really should uh, just pick it up and check it out. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, um, but, but don't be deterred by the reading. Uh, the song playing in the background is uh, the Concerto di Aaron Gez, I believe, by uh, Rodrigo. It's a beautiful song. Um, that alone is probably worth the listen. Um, we will see you again in about a fortnight uh, if we don't squeeze in another makeup episode before then. Thanks very, very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Good night.